0: Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's sermon is a continuation of our series, You Can't Tell Me What to Do. Take a listen as Senior Pastor Brandon Williams talks about how the Bible should be the ultimate authority in our lives. All right, well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Hope you all are good, man. It's going to be an awesome morning. Um, already has been. The funniest thing about that video is the last part where it says, no, you can't tell me. Like that part? They get stuck in my head every time I hear the video. So I'll be singing that last part over and over and over again the rest of the day. But um, we're glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest or uh, you're one of the old faithful uh, who's been here for a while, listen, we're glad you're here. And uh, one thing I realized today is that there are people here today who who need to hear from God. Um, There are people here today who need to hear from God's Word and who need to be spoken to by a living God. And and that's my prayer for you today. Wherever you're at, whatever circumstances are going on in your life, whatever you're dealing with, that today God speaks to your heart and God encourages you through his word. Um, Which we're going to continue this series today. You can't tell me what to do. Um, It's a series on authority and uh, we're going to get into that and look at just how um, we we oftentimes like to rebuke authority or or, uh, rebel against authority. There's something in every one of us that has a tendency uh, to want to rebel against the authority or whether it's doing this you know obeying the speed limit or whatever it might be, not rolling through a stop sign, um putting your seatbelt on. That just drives I don't know about you, that drives me nuts. Like if I don't want to wear my seatbelt, why I gotta wear my seatbelt. You know what I'm saying? And um but but we do. We like to uh rebel against authority to go against authority. And so we're gonna look at that again today. What I want to do right now though, real quick is um If you look at your uh, cards you got when you came in, on the back of those cards are some questions. Now, if you're in a connect group, those questions will be the questions you're going over this week. So hopefully those questions will be answered in this message. What we want to encourage you to do is take notes, write down some things that you can carry back to your connect group and that you can use in that group time so that you can share, that you can um, have some thoughts going in to help with the discussion. So that's there for you. Um, along with some scriptures and different things that you'll be getting uh, that that can help you in your connect group. Well, let's do this. Let's pray. And then we're going to jump in. And uh, I just believe that God's going to speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have just to come into your presence. We thank you, God, that your word is alive. That you breathe your spirit into this word we're reading and we're going to look at today, God. And that it is living. God, that it truly does divide our soul and our spirit, our bones, our marrow, God, that today it would reveal our hearts and then through the work of your Holy Spirit, you begin to heal us, you begin to set us free from sin and, and the bondage of sin. And God, that we would begin to walk free as your children. that We would walk into the potential you've given us to bring you glory. God, we love you and thank you for the truth of your word that tells us that Jesus Pay the ultimate price for our sin, that we can even come to you now in prayer. Lord, I just pray that this word, God, today would speak directly to our hearts through the power of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if we're honest in here, be real honest, how many of you sometimes find yourself acting a little bit like Jeffrey, right? The grown man who's seven, right? We all have a tendency to do that. We all have a tendency to rebel against authority. And we talked about last week a little bit about how rebellion, sin, sins rebellion. And and we always want to go our way. But the Bible is true that there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. Some of us have lived long enough to figure that out, right? When we go our own way, it tends to not end up very good. And so we need to realize that God puts his authority in our life for, for our good and his glory, Right. That, that he doesn't do it just to be some tyrant God, but he puts authority into our lives for our good and for his glory. And so when we, we're, whether we're at work or whether we're um, uh, dealing with our spouse or whatever it may be, we need to recognize that God's given us authority for, for a couple of reasons. One is that he wants to, to shape us in the image of Christ. Okay, He wants to make us look more like himself. So he gives us authority to guide us, to lead us, to direct us, to say, do this, do that, so that we actually do it and we begin to look more and more like Jesus. He gives us authority to fulfill the potential that God's placed within us. So he gives us this this authority so that we can actually accomplish the purposes he's put here for, which is the next thing. He fulfills his purposes through us. Here's the awesome thing about God. Listen, he didn't have to use us. But he chose to. Isn't that awesome? God, he didn't have to use us. He didn't have to give us the opportunity to serve. He didn't have to give us the opportunity to tell other people about him. He could have made the rocks cry out. Remember, Jesus said that. He's like, listen, if you don't worship me, the rocks will cry out. I just don't think that's really an option, right? Because we've been given the opportunity to worship him with our whole lives. And so we see that God puts those things or puts his authority in our lives to fulfill his purpose in our life, to shape us into the image of Christ, to fulfill the potential he's placed within us, to glorify him. And we need to realize this. And when we realize that God's authority is for our good, we'll begin to do what he says we should do. There's a couple of ways that God uh, works in our lives so that we can uh, have his authority, so that we hear his authority. One of those ways is through his word. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Is through the Bible. In fact, I'll tell you this, the main source of God's authority in our lives is His Word. Okay? is the Bible. Another one is the church. We're going to look at that next week, but I want to be very clear that the church gets its authority from Scripture. Scripture doesn't get its authority from the church. If we get those two things confused, we can get in a whole lot of trouble, right? So the, 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 the church gains its authority from Scripture. Scripture gains this authority from God. We're going to be looking at that. I want you to see, first of all, though, that this book, like, like we look at it right here, and, and we think it's like dead trees between a dead cow, right? Isn't that true? Paper, leather, right? Right? And so we look at it and so many times we come to this word and, and, and we look at it as if it's just flat words on a, on a flat page, just black letters on a, on a white page. And some of the letters are red, depending on which Bible you have, but, but here's the reality of it. This word is living. It is active. It speaks to our heart. I would tell you today, this, this word is not ordinary. It is very extraordinary. It's not ordinary. In fact, I would tell you, there are people who object to the word of God. There are people who say, well, the Bible, like, anybody like the Discovery Channel, History Channel? You ever seen anybody on there that was like, yes, the Bible is the inspired word of God. You should live your life by it. No. They're all like, well, this is why it can't be true. And there's a lot of objections to it. And I understand, like, I've heard all the objections. The only problem is none of them hold water. None of them. In fact, the more skeptics try to prove the Bible wrong, the more they prove it right. Like, there's things in the Old Testament. They'll be looking for different build, um, um, civilizations like cities and things that the Old Testament mentions. And they're like, well, we can't find them. So therefore, the Bible is wrong. Like five years later, they find it and they're like, well. OK, you know, what I mean, they because they prove it right. And we need to re- realize that this is not an ordinary book. A lot of people will say, well, it was just a legend just a legend there were there were legends of other people who died and were raised again but the reality of the scripture is this it was all written within 15 to 20 years most of the scriptures were written between 15 and 20 years after the resurrection of jesus it takes hundreds of years at least a hundred years for a legend to evolve there were people who could have refuted this word who were alive when jesus walked the earth And you know, there's not one historical document written within 15 to 20 years of Jesus' resurrection that refuted what the Bible said. Why? They couldn't. They couldn't. Because it's not an ordinary book, it's extraordinary. There's another theory that that conspirators manipulated Scripture. Alright? Here's the only problem with that. We have 16,000 source documents for the Bible let me explain that 16,000 manuscripts or pieces of manuscripts that the Bible was taken from now if somebody went around and manipulated 16,000 pieces of paper that's a miracle in and of itself I heard somebody say this one time if they can do that we ought to worship them because that is impossible to manipulate and tamper with 16,000 documents that all say the same thing and make them all say the same thing the way you want it to say it. That's impossible. So that it kind of blows that whole thing up. The other one is that the disciples made it up. Anybody ever heard this? Like, well, the disciples, after Jesus' death, they made it up to suit their own. The only problem with that one is that they all died. Like, if I'm going to make up a story... It's going to benefit me. You know what I mean? If I'm going to die, I'm not making up a story that I'm going to die for. They all died for the gospel. Everybody but John. The apostle John died a martyr's death for the gospel. Listen, people will die for something they believe is true, even if it's a lie. But they will not die for a lie that they know is a lie. Right? Think about that. Like as soon as they started persecuting Christians, if I were them, like they're about to draw and quarter me, cut my head off, crucify me, drag me behind a horse. All these things happen to the the early believers. If they're about to do that, and I know this is coming, and I know this is a lie, then right when that's about to happen, I'm like, excuse me. Something I need to tell you. I made it all up. Let's go home. You know what I mean? But they didn't do that. They died for the gospel. They died for the word that, that Jesus preached. And people, listen, we, what about Muslims? Yeah, listen, they believe the lie. That's why, yeah, they'll strap dynamite on their back and run in and blow up some school kids. Why? Because somebody has told them that somehow that gets them to paradise. And somehow they'll inherit all these virgins. And listen, they believe the lie. They believe it. They'll do it. But if they knew it to be false, they wouldn't. Like, how bad would it be? Like, you run in, blow up. How awful of a realization. It's not what I thought. It's one reason we have to share the word, so that people can see the truth of the gospel. Another one is that the Bible's filled with errors. And here's the thing that I will tell you. The Bible does contain grammatical errors, things like spelling, um, things like, maybe somebody said ain't. I don't know. That's not a Greek word, but... But there, there's spelling things. There's, there's little things that, that were changed You know that, that, that somebody messed up with. Maybe they put an apostrophe when they shouldn't have put an Things like that, right? But here's the reality. In 16,000 source documents, there's not one error that contradicts the doctrine or theology that the Bible teaches. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Check this out. The Bible is the most widely distributed book in the history of the world. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, some of those facts alone make the Bible an extraordinary book. The fact that it was written in like like four or five different languages, it was written by over 40 different authors, and yet it points us all to the same place. Makes it pretty awesome and pretty extraordinary. I read this week and and heard somebody talk about this week that every day 168,000 Bibles are sold, bought, and distributed every day. 168,000! Wow! Like we should have gotten the Bible business. You know what I'm saying? That's a lot of Bibles. 168,000. When I heard that number, the thing that went off in my head is how can we be distributing 168,000 books of the Bible a day and our world be in the condition that it's in? Isn't that kind of a logical reasoning? Like how is the world in the condition it's in when we distribute 168,000 Bibles a day? And This is what I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart. The problem isn't that we don't own Bibles. The problem is the Bible doesn't own us. The problem is not the fact that we don't have access to the written word. The problem is the written word doesn't have access to our heart. And when the written word begins to have the proper authority that it should have, when, when the word of God is put in the proper position in our lives, that it should have It will begin to change our lives. So the Bible is an extraordinary book. When we look at the facts, we look at at just the facts alone. Tell us that this book is not ordinary, but it is very, very extraordinary. What's made it that way? Why? Why has this book endured the persecution that it has endured? Why some of the most powerful leaders and rulers in the world have tried to do away with this book? Yeah, you know, they haven't been able to. Why? Why is that? Why? I mean, what keeps it going? How is it still, still here almost 2,000 years after the death of Jesus? It's still here. Why is that? And that's what I want to talk to you about today is, is why the Bible is what it is. Why it has authority in our lives. Why it's an extraordinary book to set the facts aside. Listen, this is an extraordinary book that has the potential to change our lives. So I want to talk to you about that today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 10. I just want to give you three things today. That, that that listen if we can grab hold of in relationship to the authority of God's word it will it not maybe it will change our lives 2 Timothy chapter 3 we're going to begin reading in verse 10 Paul wrote this letter to Timothy who was, who was like his apprentice, his, his, he called him his, his son in the Lord. He was, he was the one that Paul was raising up for ministry. And he writes this letter to Timothy and he says, Timothy, I want you to know, you've got to stand firm in the gospel. There are people who are coming who are going to try to knock you off course. There are people who are coming, who are, they're, 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 they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're going to want to come and they're going to want to pervert the gospel that we've been preaching. Stand firm, Timothy. Don't let them do it. You stand firm on what I've taught you. You stand firm on the gospel. Don't let them sway you. And we pick this up in verse 10 in in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. He says, you, however, Paul speaking to Timothy, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, you continue in what you've learned and and have become convinced of because you know that those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul's telling Timothy, stand firm, Timothy. Don't be swayed. In verses 10 through 13, he looks at, he's he's like literally writing this letter as if to tell Timothy, look at my example, Timothy. Look at my example. Look at what I went through. For the gospel. Look at what I've endured. Don't back down. It's too important. I wouldn't have given my life for this. I wouldn't have been beaten. I wouldn't have been persecuted. I wouldn't have endured. If it wasn't important. Look at my life. And and imitate me. Do what I've done. You're going to be persecuted. Everybody that pursues to live a godly life is going to be persecuted. Timothy, don't let it come as a surprise. But hold fast. That's what he's telling him. So his first example is, look at me. The second one is, he says, look at the scripture. He says, Timothy, you've known these things from, the, from day one. You've known them all along. He says, you've learned them from infancy, And you know that they have the power to salvation. Hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Don't be swayed. Don't let somebody come in and push you off course. Stay the course. Preach the gospel. Don't let them sway you. And he gets down to verse 16. This is so important and I want you to hear this today. It says, all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. Paul is saying, listen, this word didn't come from me. It didn't come from me. In fact, all the apostles would say the same thing. This word was given to us upon the authority of God. And what Paul is saying when he says it is God breathed, he's saying God has literally breathed. His spirit into this word. So like, listen, if you're reading this word, whether it's on your iPad, your phone, listen, whether it's in a book, right? You're reading something that is alive. Why is it alive? Because God himself breathed his spirit into it. It's why I believe this. You cannot read this word without being transformed. You cannot read this word and submit to it without it changing your life. It is the living Word of God. I want you to understand, because it is living, the first thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. Listen, the first thing that we can take away from the Word of God being from divine origin is that because it is, has divine origin, it also has divine revelation. Okay? It also has divine revelation. It is able to reveal who God is. And it, it's what theologians would call special revelation it's able to say listen this is who god is as there's this general revelation you can walk out on friday night i was sitting out on my deck there really wasn't hardly any clouds i looked up there were billions of stars i always when i do that i think how could somebody look at all that's been created and think there's not a creator right i mean if anything's been created it's got to have a creator and like this speaker didn't just show up it wasn't like we walked in this morning and like it just appeared Somebody created it and we bought it. We put it on the stage. God put all that in place and there's just a general revelation that we're able to have that God exists and I can even see his power as we study the universe, as we study how big it is and even down to our DNA and the smallest particles of the body and how they all work together to make us who we are and to create the world we live in. There's a general revelation of the power of God, but this word we hold in our hands gives us a specific revelation of who God is. One way it does that is it reveals his purposes. It spe- specifically and specially reveals His purposes. We cannot know the purposes of God apart from His Word. Some of us today don't know why we exist. You know why that is? You're not reading the Bible. This will tell you who you are, why you exist. You have a great and awesome purpose in god to glorify the one who created you and the one who loves you and the one who gave his son for you that is our ultimate purpose in life that is what this word teaches us when we begin to read it it also reveals his character it tells us who god is so funny last night um when one of the thunderstorms was coming through my five or six year old now jackson he, he was standing by the refrigerator, and as usual, we're looking for something to eat. We eat a lot at my house. And so we're looking for something to eat, and Jackson's standing there, and a rumble of thunder comes, comes through, you know, and we hear it. And Jackson goes, I, I'm not scared. I'm like, okay, good, cool, man. Glad you're not scared. He goes, thunder's just God's tummy growling. I was like, awesome, man. I didn't even go like, no, Jackson, it's not actually. I was just like, that's awesome, man. Whatever, you know. And I was like, who told you that? He goes, I just know, Dad. Like, you're a dummy. And, and he's like, I just know. And I thought about that. And I was like, you know, how crazy would it be if we didn't have the Bible? That's about what we would know of God. Like, thunder is, his, you know, tummy growling. Lightning, I don't know what that, like you can make up your own thing. If we didn't have the Bible, the only way we could discover who God is is just by this general revelation that we really don't know who he is. But God is so awesome that he gave us his word. He gave us Jesus, who the Bible says is a word made flesh so that we can actually know him. How crazy would it be if we lived in this life where we see bad things happening? where we see 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 atrocities all around us when we watch the news and things bad are happening if we just drew our opinion of god from that god would be we'd be like what are you doing god There's no way he can love me. And how many times have we heard people say a loving God couldn't let that happen. But I'll remind you again that when we begin to doubt the goodness of God and we don't understand what he's doing. We see the goodness of God, the love of God. When we look to the Holy Scripture and we see Jesus on the cross. There is nothing that reveals the goodness of God like the cross. And the Bible gives us this amazing Special revelation of who God is. His, his love and his joy in us. His, his, his passion for us. His, his commitment to us. Man, listen, you know good and well. If you were God, you would have quit on us a long time ago. A long time ago. I would have been like garden. Like bite the apple. Pfft, done. Finished. Let's start over. And God didn't give up on us. And we find his patience and his love and his grace. His mercy. We also find His judgment. We also find His, His truth. We find His righteousness. All of that contained in the Holy Scripture. And the Bible does say this, that Jesus was the Word made flesh. Now here's the awesome thing about this, because we know according to the Scripture... That God himself is both grace and mercy and he's truth and righteousness. And the only way for truth and righteousness to exist is if it judges correctly. When we sin, we rightfully deserve the judgment of God. But the scripture also says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. This is an awesome thing if we can grab hold of it. And here's why. Because in Jesus, God's grace and mercy Im- collided And this beautiful and amazing collision with his Truth and righteousness. And it was all contained within him. And in him both were satisfied. Does that make sense? Like in Jesus. It's all right there. And on the cross. We see the fullness of both God's grace. And his mercy. And his righteousness. And his judgment. As the punishment. That was due to us for our sin. Was paid for. By the one who was perfect. In every way. That's a pretty awesome God, but we don't know God that way until we open his word and we begin to see, we begin to realize who he is. Another thing that the Bible specifically reveals to us is our identity, our identity, not just who he is, but who we are. My goodness, if there's one thing that I see people struggle with more than anything else, it's their identity. It's who God says they are. If we could take every Christian in here, every person who's placed their trust and faith in Jesus and surrendered to Him as the Lord of their life, and I could snap my fingers, and you could see yourself the way Scripture tells you to see yourself, your entire life would be revolutionized. My entire life would be revolutionized. It would be changed because we begin to see who God says we are. I want you to understand this. You are not defined by who the world says you are. You're defined by what the Word says you are. So many times we listen to what the world says. We listen to our past. We listen to everything else other than the Holy Scripture of God. We don't know who we are. I see people all the time and when I look into their eyes, I see hurt and I see pain. And I see them making decision after decision that is a bad decision. People who are looking for love and listen all the wrong places. And I see beautiful daughters of God who are giving themselves to man after man, seeking something that they're not going to find. I see men who are constantly logging on to websites that they think gives them their identity and their validation of who they are. We think that until we sleep with a woman, we don't become a man. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You are a man because God says you, listen, if you want to be a man, start living like God tells us to live in the Word. But we don't know who we are. Listen, apart from Christ, we are all those things. Listen, we're sinners. We're dead. Listen, we're, we're, we're condemned. We're separated from a holy God. Basically, we are helpless. But once we are in Christ, all of those things reverse. It's the most incredible exchange that's ever happened. God says, you give me your crap, I'll give you life. And that's what he does. We come to Christ and when we're in Christ, we're no longer sinners. We become saints. Right? We become saints. That's what the Bible said. Paul never addressed a church to the sinners in Corinth. He said to the saints. Look around you. Like, even seriously, like look to your left, look to your right, look behind you, Whatever you got to do. They look like a saint. Like if you looked at your spouse, you're like, not no, but heck no. You know what I'm saying? No. Like there's never going to be a statue of you that's like, St. Joe. You know what I mean? I was walking into the hospital in Savannah this week to go see somebody. And there was a big statue of, it was St. Joseph's Hospital. So they had a a statue of St. Joseph. And he's like, it's kind of creepy. And he's like the patron saint of the sick is what the the statue said and i thought to myself i'm like i'm pretty sure i'll never have one of those i'm pretty sure there'll never be a statue that says saint brandon if it is like susan will tear that thing down so that's a lie <laughs> because when we look around we're not saints we look at ourselves and the way we see ourselves. We're not saints, but the way we need to see ourselves is how God sees us through Christ. If we're in Christ, we've been taken from sinner to saint. We've been taken from dead to alive. We've been taken from condemned to forgiven. We've been taken from separated to reconciled. Come, Y'all ought to be daggum excited about that. That's amazing. What an amazing exchange. We don't read the Bible For religious points, we read the Bible to encounter this God. It is living and it is active and it speaks to our heart. We've got to get in the Word. I want to give you real quick just some things. You can jot them down. You can put these into practice. Some very practical things for reading your Bible. Listen, one of the things you've got to do, you've got to find a place and a time that you're going to commit to, to read the Word. If you don't set time apart, you will never do it. Find a place and a time. Get there. Commit to it. Read the Word. Another thing that we need to do is, is we got to get a Bible we can understand. Like, Listen, some of you, you read those, these Bibles that it's like, thou, that, then. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know. When I was little, I had a little white King James Version Bible. Nothing wrong with King James some, like My dad loves a King James Version. He loves the way it reads. I can't read it. I don't have a clue I can read an entire book of the Bible and I'm like I'm just confused I can't read it when I was little I had this little white King James Version Bible and and I would decide like like I would just want to pick up the Bible and read it like God was just drawing me to it and I'd open it up and I I turned to Matthew chapter one and it's like so and so begat so and so I'm like begat I don't even know what that is Get a Bible translation you can understand. If it's King James Version, that's awesome. But let me clarify, it's not King Jesus Version. Other translations of the Bible are as accurate, if not more accurate, than the King James Version. Period. Get a Bible you can read. Listen, get a pen and get a journal. Write down. Write down what God speaks to your heart. The word is living and active. I can tell you this. God will speak to your heart. Write it down. Write it down. You'll be amazed. You'll fill the journal up with things that God's put on your heart. And you'll go back and read it. This happens to me all the time. And I read it and I'm like, I wrote that? I didn't know. That's pretty good. That had to be God. Write down what God speaks to your heart. And establish accountability. That's one of the great things about the connect groups is every week we're, now we're going over sermons. We're reading the scriptures. We're getting through all that stuff, man, that, that we talk about on Sunday. And we're going deeper with, that, with the scriptures. And, and, and listen, we're held accountable. We have people that are saying, listen, you need to be in the word. You need to read your Bible. You need to listen to the message. You need to, you need to be, be going after God. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, you don't have a journal, you don't have a pen, like, I'm pretty sure you got a pen, right? You probably got like 14 connection church pens in your drawer at home. It's so crazy. Like, you see those pens everywhere. Um, But if you don't have a pen, journal, Bible, listen, we've got Bibles out here on this table at our guest services table. Go by there. We will give you a bag with all of that in there because we want you to have a Bible. We want you to be able to read and write down what God is speaking to your heart because we truly believe this word is living and it is active. Go by there today and get them. If we run out, we will get your name and your number and we will get you one. I promise. We got to go get a loan from the bank. We will have Bibles and journals. It is that important. The second thing, listen, that that divine origin gives us, because the word of God is God-breathed, the word of God has the right to, to obtain a divine position in our life. If this was just like reading another, um, another book, if this was like reading Gone with the Wind, or Where the Red Fern Grows, my all-time favorite as a kid. Anybody read that, Where the Red Fern Grows? Sad, man, sad. Make you cry. But if this was just like reading one of those books, then what would be the point of reading it? I mean, why would, we wouldn't read it and we wouldn't obey it. There's no reason to read it. But listen, God breathed His Spirit in it. It is the very Word of God. It is the Word of God that was written by men, inspired by God. Now, they weren't in some trance like writing. But God inspired this Word. They put it in their heart, and they wrote it down to speak to us today. We need to realize that this Word contains authority. It has the right to be in the right position in our lives, which is our supreme authority, because it is God's very Word. Words carry the authority of the one who speaks them, right? You ever thought about it? Words carry the authority of the one who speaks them. This word is spoken by God. It's just like this. When we're at home, a lot of times, Dake will be doing something, eating a bag of potato chips on the couch. And, And I'm like, Dake, you know you're not supposed to eat on the couch. And eventually, after 10 or 15 times, he'll get up and go put them up. But now Jackson, on the other hand, loves to aggravate Dake. And so I'll say, Dake, you can't eat the chips on the couch. You need to go to the table and eat the chips. And Jackson goes, yeah, Dake, you need to go to the table and eat the chips, Dake. Go to the table, Dake, and eat the chips because you're not supposed to eat them on the couch, Dake. You need to do what Daddy says, Dake. They don't care what he says. In fact, usually it ends up in a fight. He'll do what I say. He hits Jackson. Why? Because... Words carry the authority of the one who speaks them. Jackson has no authority in date's life. I do. It's the same way with God. God, our Heavenly Father, has the authority to speak into our lives. He speaks into our lives through the Gospel. It's why this book isn't a book of helpful suggestions. It is a book of mandated instructions. Like God is not interested... In my opinion, your opinion, he's not interested in your friend's opinion, your parent's opinion. He is very clear about who he is and what he's about and his purposes in his word. And that is our ultimate authority. And it's this authority that gives the Bible the right and the ability to do exactly what it says in Second Timothy 3.17. Listen to this scripture. Or actually 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, And training in righteousness. Because of the authority that the Word carries, it is able to do all four of those things. It's able to teach us. Everybody needs to be taught something. If you think you've learned everything, then, like, you're wrong. Everybody needs to be taught. We all need to be taught from the Word of God. We all need to be taught by the Living God, who He is, what He's about. We all need to come to that. When I was little, I learned a lot from my dad. My dad can do anything. Like he'll research it online, and I think he could build a spaceship. I mean, he, he just can do anything. And I remember when I was little, I would always watch him and what he did, and I would learn things from him. And one of the craziest things, and one of the things I used to get in trouble about more than anything else, is when we'd be working on something in the dark. And he'd say, son, I want you to hold this flashlight. That is boring to a 10-year-old. And I think I may have been ADD before we knew what ADD was. And so pretty soon, I'm like... Over and over again. Every time I'd hold the flashlight. But you know, the way I learned was, was I, I watched him. The way I learned was I spent time with him. I do the same thing with my boys now. He'll be holding a flashlight, Dake, and I'm like, Dake, get it out oh, oh, I'm sorry. 10 seconds later. But he's learning. And listen, we learn the same way when we spend time with our Heavenly Father. When we read his word, he teaches us about who we are. He rebukes us. Anybody like to be rebuked? No. It's not pleasant. It's not fun. But the word of God is effective for rebuking us. Nobody likes it, but is it necessary? Yes. We all need to be rebuked. And the word of God will rebuke us. It says that it corrects. It changes our way of thinking. There's errors that we all have in our minds. And when we begin to read the Bible, it begins to correct the way we think. For example, people say, well, all roads lead to heaven. All roads will get you to heaven. It's not just Jesus. Well, we know that that's not true. Why? Because of the word of God. We know that apart from Christ, we don't spend eternity with God because we have not been reconciled to God And our sin has separated us from Him. That is not popular, but it is the truth. The last one it says is that it actually trains. It trains us. It gets us fit. It gets us ready to run the race with the gospel. To do what the gospel tells us to do. And so it trains us. I was watching some of the Olympics and they were talking about Usain Bolt. You know, the guy that run, the fast dude that won the hundred and the two hundred? And 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 they were talking about him, and I thought about how hard did he have to train to win the one hundred and the two hundred made the fastest man in the world. How hard did he have to train? How much did he have to put into that? Like we've never seen Bolt walk up to the, the starting line, eating a Big Mac, smoking a Marlboro and, a, and drinking a beer. Like He's not going to win that way. But he was committed. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to be about. And you and I should be the same way. Listen, if we're serious about it, if we really want to pursue the prize of Jesus, if we really want to accomplish what God has said to do in our lives, then we'll pursue and we'll train every day. And the word of God has the ability to teach us and to train us. It has the authority of God. And listen, if we reject the word, we're not rejecting a book. We are rejecting God himself. We're not rejecting a book. We're rejecting God himself. The last one I'll tell you is that because it's God breathed, because it comes from divine origin, it also has divine power. It's not an ordinary book. It's not dead trees surrounded by a dead cat. It's not. It has power. But understand this, before it can have power in your life, it's got to have position. Until it is the ultimate authority, until we realize that it is living and active, that it will speak to our hearts, that it does have the power to change our lives, it will never have the effect on us that God desires it to have. I want to give you real quick just a couple of things, and a few things actually, that that God's word has the power to do. And we're going to read a lot of scripture. If you want to write them down, you can go back and look at them later. I'm going to go through them pretty quick. But I want you to hear some of the things that when God's word is the ultimate authority in our life, when it's no longer a book of suggestions, but it is a book of mandated instructions and we begin to live from it. I want you to hear some of the things that God's word has the power to do. The first one is this out of Romans 12.2. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. The first thing that has the power to do is to renew our mind. Everybody in here needs their mind renewed. Some of us are a little more renewed than others. But at the end of the day, we all have the need for our mind to be renewed. When I first surrendered my life to Jesus, I was still working in the roofing industry. I came home and I was actually working out at the pack out here at Georgia Southern. Came home from a retreat, surrendered my life to God. I was wanting to live for Jesus, was cleaning up my act. I went to work on that Monday after leaving the retreat on Sunday. I was up on the roof. I had a drill in with a Phillips tip bit in it. I was putting in a screw like this, holding it like this. It slipped off the screw, went through my finger. But because my mind was renewed, I sang hymns to Jesus. No, I cussed like a sailor. Was I saved? Yes. Was my mind renewed? No. If that happened today, I'd like to think I would be a little bit different, you know? Why? Because my mind's been renewed. And listen, I had a long way to go. If you knew me BC, before Christ, you know I had a long way to go. But the reality of it is that as we read God's word, as we pour ourselves into God's word and he pours his word into us, our minds are renewed. Listen, I had a long way to go. I still got a long way to go. I got a lot of renewing to be done. I was reading the other day when Jesus told the, the, the Peter and the disciples to throw the net out, and, and Peter, when they catch this huge catch of fish, Peter falls at the feet of Jesus, and he says, Lord, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. Like, that's me. The reality of it is, as I read God's word, he renews my mind. As you read God's word, he renews his mind. He renews our mind through the power of the Holy Spirit as we become uh, a child of his. He fills us with his spirit, and then he renews our mind. The revelation of His Word as He speaks to our heart. The second thing it does is it, it purifies our heart. The Word of God purifies our heart. Listen to this in Psalm 119, 9 through 11. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to Your Word. I seek You with all my heart. Do, let, do not let me stray from Your commands. I've hidden Your Word in my heart that I might not sin." against you we keep our heart pure when we hide his word his word has the power to clean out our heart to reveal who we are then we surrender it to christ and he begins to purify our hearts and who we are do we really hide the word in our hearts Listen, Jesus told um, them and told the disciples in Luke 6, 43 through 45, he's like, listen, all the evil, all the all the bad things, they they don't come from the outside, they come from the inside. What's, What's the condition of our heart? What's coming out? Here's the reality we don't put crap in and then not get crap out. What we put in is what we get out. I don't throw a bag of trash in the back of my truck full of dirty baby diapers. And expect by the time I get to the landfill for it to be a bag of gold. Why? Because I'm going to get the same thing out that I put in. It's no different with us. We need to be thinking like, am I hiding the word in my heart? When the boat gets rocked, what comes out? Because that's an indication of what we're putting in. The next one is it says that uh, in Luke 6, look at Luke 6, 46 through 49. The next one is that it gives us an unshakable foundation the word of god has the power to give us an unshakable foundation jesus asks the people he's preaching to he says why do you call me lord and do not do what i say i will show you what it is like like he who like he or help me jesus read i will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice he was like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but he could not, but it could not shake it, because it was well-built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, if you'll build your life based off of my word, not based off of the world or even your own desires. If you'll build your life based off of my word, you will be built upon the foundation of Christ and that foundation cannot be shaken. It cannot be shaken. What are we building our lives upon? Back to Psalm 119, 105. If you're flipping with me, this is like such an ADD, like flipping around the scripture because I could have stayed in 119, I guess. But listen, 119, 105. It says this. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. But listen, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. What's he saying? The psalmist is saying, oh, if I would just obey what you tell me to do. The other thing that the word of God has the power to do is make our decisions. Make our decisions. The reality of it is there are tons of things that we struggle and wrestle with every day of our life. That if we're a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, when we read his word, he gives us very, very, very clear instructions. For instance, you know how to raise your kids. You know, the Bible teaches us how to raise our children. You know how to treat your wife. The Bible is very clear. Read Ephesians 5. It is very clear how we're to treat our wives. Wives is very clear on how we should... Rest- we. I'm not a wife. It is very clear on how wives should respond to their husbands. It's very clear. We don't even have to ask the question. We don't have to ask the question, should I forgive or should I not forgive? It's very clear in Scripture. We have to forgive. God tells us to forgive. In fact, He says, unless you forgive, you can't be forgiven. It's very clear. Like You don't have to ask God the question of, should I have an affair? I can tell you the answer. How? It's in the word. Like you don't have to pray about that one. You don't have to pray about sex outside of marriage. You don't have to pray about should I look at porn. Right? Because if you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit is in you, I find it hard to believe that we could sit there with a TV screen in front of us watching pornography and reading the word. At the same time, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It makes a lot of our decisions for us. I don't think you could sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs while watching pornography. I've never heard of anybody singing Amazing Grace while they're doing that. The reality of it is, it makes our decisions. It begins. To shape our lives. Begins to change our hearts. It has the power to help us overcome temptation. In Luke 4. 1 through 13. Jesus tells us. or we, we read where Jesus goes. And Satan tries to tempt Jesus. He tempts him with bread. He tempts him with power. He tempts him. Um, that, that, that if he would just bow down and worship him. He'd give him all the, the, the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus like Satan. Listen, 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 listen. Not only. Am I not going to do what you want me to do. But here's the deal. Because the word of God tells me not to. If you go read that, listen, he, 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 he fought the enemy. He fought temptation with his word. And, but, but I can see Jesus looking at Satan. He's like, why would I worship you when I'm going to slap you in the face and take it all anyway? It's like the big kid coming to the little kid and taking his candy. Jesus is like, I don't have to worship you. I'm going to punch you in the throat and then take it all for myself anyway. But we fight temptation with the word, it's able to give to birth and strengthen your faith, Romans 10: or um, actually Romans 10:14 through17. The Bible tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. When we begin to read the Word of God, our faith is either birth to salvation or our faith is strengthened in Christ, as the Spirit speaks to our heart. The last one is that it's able to replace our guilt with gratitude. Listen to this. Romans 12:1. Romans 12:1. Paul says, "Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship." He's like, "Listen, In light of what God's done in your life, in light of what God has done for you, the reasonable thing we can do is worship him. And he says, listen, you're no longer guilty because of what I've done for you, because of the sacrifice I've made. So why don't you go from guilt to gratitude? Why don't we walk away from the condemnation that was from our former life to the gratitude of knowing we are forgiven in Christ? The Bible has the power to do that. The Bible has the power to do all of those things. It has the power to reveal who God is. It has the power and the right to be in that authoritative position in our lives. And it has the power to begin to change and shape our lives through the renewing of our minds. The beginning to speak to our hearts. I remember when Susan and I were on our first anniversary trip and... and we went up to, um, I think it's Helen, Georgia. Anybody ever been to Helen, Georgia? Like, we went up there and Susan told me how great it was. And we walked like down the street and back down the street. I was like, what are we going to do now? She's like, that's pretty much it. i like, all right. So we go back to the hotel room. First anniversary trip. I'm like, yes. I looked over. It was 9 o'clock. She was sound asleep. It's like, doggone it. And I picked up my Bible and I began to read 1 Corinthians. And that was the night that God began to speak to my heart through His Word. I, I'd been saved a few months earlier. I tried to read the Bible and, and, and I, I just really wasn't into it. I picked it up that night and He began to speak to me. It began to encourage me and convict me. It began to rebuke me and correct me. I began to hear it coming from the mouth of God, not coming off of just pages in a book. God's Word has... Extraordinary authority and power in our lives my question to you today is have you surrendered to that power have you given yourself to the word have you allowed it to become the ultimate authority in your life see there's some people in here today who you you don't need another scripture you just need to submit to the ones you know like you can quote them and you know them you 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 read you know all you all the, the 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 Puritan writers you listen you read Edwards you read you read Luther you memorize John Wesley's words you've memorized all these things has it changed your heart has the Word of God changed your heart you listen to all the great speakers has the Word of God changed your heart. Have you submitted yourself to the Word of God? Has it impacted your life? Some of us today don't need another script. We need, listen, we need to begin to submit to the ones we already know. Some of us in here today, you've never opened your Bible, you've never read it, or if you read it, you were like me when I was a kid, and it just confused you. Some of it even scared you. Like you opened it up to Leviticus and they were killing stuff, like goats and sheep and cows, and you're like, I don't even, I, I don't know what that's all about. Some of us today need to make a commitment to read the word of God. You need to make a commitment to read God's word. If you don't have a Bible, get one out here. you don't have a journal, get one out here. Some of us today need to go back and begin to read the scripture. Not, not from a religious point of view, but it's God's letter written to somebody he loves. The words of scripture weren't just written For the churches of that day and the people of that day. They were written to us. You just go and you need to begin to read the scriptures as the living and active word of God. Here's the reality for some of you. Some have never submitted your life to Christ. The word made flesh. You've never surrendered to Jesus to come into a relationship with him because we've never given the word place in our heart. listen, if you don't know Christ today, today is the day to do it. Today is the day to do it. Today's the day of salvation. That you can trust Jesus. Go from death to life. You can surrender to the truth of his word today. Going from death to life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to know you, that you reveal yourself in your word. I pray, God, that today you have spoken to someone's heart, God, many people's hearts, and that today, Lord, they would submit themselves to you, they would submit themselves to your word, that they, God, would live for you. God, I pray your word would have place in our heart, that it would change our hearts, change our lives. God, for those who don't know you today, who are separated, from you today I pray Lord that you would speak to them that we love you and we praise you we give you glory for who you are in Jesus name